isn't too far from here. Um, and actually, if you guys have ever driven on 166, once you get to the 101 and you hang a right towards Pismo, the first little town is called Napomo. Um, just a little tiny town. That's where I grew up. My whole family's from there. And I've been to Bakersfield one time. I think I was about 14 years old. I came here with my friend. His grandparents lived here, and it was in the summer, and I just remember it being so hot that um, the swimming pool that his grandparents had was, was wonderful. I imagine um, a lot of you guys probably have swimming pools. I think I would want one. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really uh, thankful for the invites and the opportunity to share with you guys about what we're doing in Ukraine, and not only that, but share, share the word with you guys. Um, something kind of interesting about Christmas. And when I first got to Ukraine, it was really strange because um, you guys are probably familiar with the Soviet Union kind of came in and took over in 1917, 1920. Um, and historically, is a very Eastern Orthodox uh, nation. And Christmas is one of the biggest holidays, Christmas and Easter. Well, the Soviets, in order to kind of stamp out Christianity, they, they took... Um, uh, Father Frost or St. Nicholas and the Christmas tree and presents and they moved it all to New Year's. So we don't have a Christmas tree, we have a New Year's tree. Um, Santa Claus is on New Year's and all the presents are given on New Year's and Christmas remained strictly just a Christian holiday without all the commercialism and um, all the busyness. So it's really, it's actually kind of a good thing. But um, yeah, I, I thought I would share with you guys from scripture. Uh, if you guys want to open up to John chapter 1, I think what, what I'm hoping to do is talk a little bit about what Advent and what Christmas shows us about God's heart and God's purpose uh, for our lives and for the world. And at the same time, um, share with you how in Ukraine we've been able to, to see a little bit of his redemption and his purposes to, to gather people for himself and finish with how God wants to use all of us locally and globally for his global mission to, to gather people for himself. Um, so if you guys don't mind, I would love to pray and dive into the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study your scriptures, your truth. We thank you that they are inspired by you, and you want to communicate to us about yourself. You want to reveal yourself through your word. You want to make yourself known so that we can love you more and we can worship you and follow after you. Father, we pray that we would be receptive, that our hearts would be soft, that our ears would be open, and that this time would be helpful and encouraging. I thank you for the opportunity to be here. I pray that what what you are doing in Ukraine would be um, a cause for, for worship, what you're doing everywhere, Lord. We want to give you all the praise. We want to give you all the glory this morning. We want to thank you for Jesus and the fact that we get to celebrate his coming this week. Father, we love you. I pray this in your name. Amen. Um, okay. John chapter 1, uh, verses 14 through 18. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him, 
and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And just a few things I would like to point to before I tell you about um, how I got to Ukraine and what we're doing in Ukraine. Are just, I mean, this passage is so rich. We could probably spend weeks, you guys could probably spend weeks studying it with, um, with Chad and Jason. I'm just going to point to a few little things here that I see standing out. Obviously, it's talking about Jesus, the Word. He was with God and he was God. And earlier in the chapter we read, and we know that he became flesh and dwelt among us. Um, Christ took on humanity and lived and was um, seen and touched and heard and felt by, by the people who were around him in his day. Um, the incarnation, Christ became one of us without sin. And we see why, um, which is really what Christmas is pointing to and what the Advent is pointing to. We see that he, he came to, to reveal his glory, to reveal the glory of the Father. He came to um, unwrap and unpackage the, the fullness of God's grace and the understanding of God's grace. He came to uh, reveal the truth of God in a more clear and full way. Um, he came so that we would see God. He came so that we would know God. He came to um, manifest the Father. And how this relates to missions and how this really speaks of what God is doing throughout, throughout the whole world is um, God wants us to know him. He wants us to have an intimate relationship with him. He wants us to experience his goodness overflowing out of the fellowship in the Trinity. Um, he wants us to, to, to see and enjoy his beauty and his glory. John chapter 17 talks about how Jesus prayed that we, would, that we would be with him and that we would see him and that we would see his glory and that the love that the Father has for him would be in us so that we would love him with this, this perfect love and that we would see him as he truly is and that we would be one with each other and one with him as he and the Father one. So we would enter into this Trinitarian fellowship. Peter said that we would partake of the divine nature. Um, so Christ came to bring us into to a relationship with the Father, with himself, that is described as in Ephesians chapter 2, um, the unsurpassable riches of grace being revealed to us in the ages to come. In other words, to forever enjoy the goodness of God, to forever enjoy seeing the glory of God, and to forever be so close to him that, that Christ would say, be one with him. Um, and Christmas is the, the, the beginning of the mission that God had purposed from eternity past to redeem a people for himself to enjoy him and enter into this fullness of life. Um, 
And it's funny, the word advent even, it's adventus in Latin, and I don't speak Greek, but it's parousia in Greek, which means the coming, the second coming. Um, it's often referred to, referred to as the second coming, pointing to we, we are remembering the first coming and we're waiting in expectation of the second coming. And, and the entire period in between the two comings of Christ is this global mission to redeem people, to save people, to rescue people from their sin. We know that, just as Chad prayed, there's the necessity of Christ coming and taking on our um, flesh and living a a perfectly uh, righteous life in our place as a substitute and dying a horrific death, taking upon himself the wrath of God for us in our place so that we um, we can be justified, so that we can be made righteous, so that we can be... Um, given the righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. The, Jesus is, you guys all know this. I'm not, I'm, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. It's, it's just really simple, but, it, but it's so important. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the entrance into this fellowship with, with the Father that is designed for our enjoyment of his goodness and his glory for all of eternity. And um, this is really one of the most important things that we can be grasped by or or gripped by in our lives, that that God wants to redeem, that God wants to make himself known through Jesus. He wants to use us to make himself known. Um, So my, my hope as I talk about Ukraine is that it would all underline this point, that God loves you, he loves, he loves his people, and he, he sent his son, which was the highest cost he could have ever paid to, to rescue us so that he can give to us um, infinite goodness throughout all of eternity so that we could enjoy him, enjoy fellowship with him. That's his, that's his heart. That's the point of Christmas, to bring us near to himself. And Jesus is how and through whom we enter into this. I, I, I know that God wants to use Sovereign Grace Bakersfield. He wants to use all of you individually and all of you corporately to to further and advance the gospel, which is the message that brings us into this place of fullness and fellowship with God. Um, He wants to use you guys, just as he wants to use our little church in Ukraine to to advance the gospel in Ukraine and bring bring people um, to himself. He wants us to point to Jesus. So a little bit about me. So I'm not just... um, kind of a guest up here talking, but you can kind of understand where I'm from and my wife. Um, again, I, I grew up on the Central Coast. Um, it's a wonderful place. It's beautiful. It's really a, I, I'm often reminded of how nice it is when I come back because it doesn't get cold there. And in Ukraine, it gets really cold. Uh, in about a month, my wife and I will celebrate our five-year anniversary. And the day we got married, it was minus 32 degrees in Kiev where we were married. And uh, our car froze. I had to, like, find a car that ran off natural gas just to drive 
all public transportation shut down. It was a, the worst possible day to get married. Um, half of our guests couldn't come because they couldn't actually drive to the city because if your car broke down, you would probably freeze to death. There, were, there weren't anybody on the roads. Um, and coming back here, it's just, it's nice. Um, it's nice to come back in the wintertime. But I grew up in Napomo. Um, my mother was a believer. She got saved right as I was born. My father is still not a believer. He's, he's um, kind of like a functioning alcoholic, drinks a lot, but he has his own business, and he does well. He was never really interested in the things of the Lord. So I grew up in a home that was half Christian and half not Christian. I, I, I went to church at a young age. I, I remember growing up in church and, and understanding the gospel at a very young age, um, believing in Jesus. When I was about 14 years old, I went on a mission trip to Russia with my youth pastor. I was really terrified um, because I was told if I lost my passport, I would be stuck in Russia because they don't have computers and uh, they wouldn't be able to get me a new passport for like three or four months. So I, I pretty much was walking around just terrified I was going to lose my passport the whole time. Um, I remember everything was very gray. It was 1995, um, not long after the Soviet Union had collapsed. I remember everything in the city was gray in Moscow except for one huge sign on top of a building that said uh, Nimirov uh, Vodka. It, it was just a very depressing um, place, but people were really open at that time. I, I remember for the first time sharing the gospel, and I remember for the first time reading the Bible and feeling like God was speaking to me, like, this is real, this is for me. It's not just my mother's faith. I didn't just get, you know, pulled to church by her, but this is, this is becoming my own. Um, continued on through high school in Aurora Grande. Some of you guys may have been there. Um, and was going to church three times a week, uh, started surfing, and fell in love with surfing. And I, I could definitely say that um, I was trying to be a good Christian, but I was not living for Jesus. I was living for surfing. That was what I cared about, thought about, spent my money on, and woke up really early for before school. And every weekend I was driving somewhere if I wasn't working. Um, so I, I was kind of living a lukewarm Christian life as, as a high schooler. And once I got out of high school, I started studying in Santa Maria at a local community college and really starting to wonder, what do I want to do with my life? Um, what ultimately has the value? And my father had a business. I was working for him. Um, the, the idea was I was going to just work for him and then take, take the business. At the same time, I began to read the scriptures and verses like, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? What can a man ex- give in exchange for his soul? Really began to shape my thinking and radically confront the way I was living and uh, demand from me a response, a response that was either, if this is true, the implications are huge. Eternity is a really long time and our lives are a vapor and what matters is people knowing Jesus. Um, I, I don't want to be lukewarm in relationship to that truth. Either I want to reject it or accept it and live in light of it. And I spent months in college between classes reading my Bible, just devouring scripture, and the Lord began to place in my heart a desire to, to, to live for something that um, wasn't just temporary. And I had no idea what that was. I didn't think missions. I didn't think Ukraine. Definitely didn't think Ukraine. Um, at the same time, my youth pastor moved to Ukraine and invited me to go visit him. 
So at 18 years old, I thought, okay, I'm going to go spend the following summer in Ukraine. I'm going to keep studying here. And I was online, and I found out about a Bible college in Austria. And I called my friend up, who was going to go to Ukraine with me, my best friend from childhood. And I said, hey, you want to go to Bible college in Austria? We can probably snowboard in the Alps, see Italy and France and Europe, and then go to Ukraine. It would be like a bridge. Um, and we'll get to enjoy Europe. Seriously, that's, that's what got me there. It, it, studying the Bible was definitely a plus. I was loving the Bible, but the location was a big plus. Um, the school was in a castle in the Alps, overlooking an alpine lake um, in southern, southern Austria, near the Italian border. It was an incredible time. Um, little did I know that when I got there, I would be taught by former missionaries who had been church planners all over Europe, and specifically one guy who had planted a church outside of St. Petersburg, Russia. He had just turned his church over to locals and had um, moved to this little town in Austria to teach, and he began to impart a vision for church planning that really gave a lot of clarity and direction for me personally because I knew I wanted to serve the Lord, and he really, um, really showed me that the church is the vehicle that the Lord wants to use to make disciples. The church is what God has ordained um, to be what he uses to gather people to himself and to expand his kingdom and to advance the gospel. There's all kinds of other forms of missions, but I knew that that was um, primarily what the Lord wanted to see happen in countries where there weren't many churches. At the same time, I went to Ukraine for a summer and uh, met with my, my youth pastor and saw a massive need um, the, the country is um, it's pretty broken after the fall of the Soviet Union. The, the churches that were there, the evangelical presence, it's, it's highly legalistic, so much so that um, they really only focus on externals, how you look, how you're dressed, and um, whether or not you smoke or drink. Um, that's, that's really the depth of what it means to become a Christian. Um, and the Orthodox Church is... is primarily just a, a cultural, cultural thing where you're orthodox because you're born there. Um, and so I had an invite from my youth pastor. I saw that there was a need. Uh, I had a heart for serving the Lord, and I knew it. In some way, church planning was involved in that. And my home church in Aurora Grande said, hey, if you feel like the Lord's leading you into missions, we'd be glad to, to get behind you. And then the Great Commission said go. So I was 18 years old and didn't really have any reasons not to go. And I had all these reasons to go. So I moved to Ukraine. Um, um, it was kind of like the wild, wild west. I, we didn't know what we were doing. And the laws there were really ambiguous. And um, it, was, it was a really interesting time. I'll, I'll get back to that. But um, that's how I got to Ukraine. It was 2000, spring of, spring of 2000. And... Just a little bit about Ukraine. Um, it's about 48 million people. It's a highly agricultural area. It's the former breadbasket of the Soviet Union. Maybe you guys have heard of Chernobyl. We live about 45 minutes from Chernobyl. Um, pretty devastating, the aftermath of Chernobyl and the, the sickness and the cancer and leukemia and thyroid cancer. Um, not to mention just the kind of the social uh, stigma Ukraine was, for almost its thousand-year history, ruled by another kingdom or nation the whole entire time. They've been independent for almost 20 years now, and that's the longest stretch of independence they've ever had. Um, 
they're usually ruled by Russia or Poland or um, the Vikings or Austro-Hungarian Empire or Latvia and their kingdom. Um, so the people have been very oppressed. Most recently with the Soviet Union, um, the, the language, the eth ethnic identity, the songs um, was all kind of stamped out and R Russian was, was brought in. They, they really discouraged any type of um, patriotism or pride. Um, the cities are growing. The villages are dying. There's this massive urbanization taking place. The villages are, uh, they were built around the collective farms. The collective far farms fell apart, and each villager was allotted a piece of the farm, but they're not allowed to sell the property. So the agriculture industry is really, it's kind of like everything's just fallow. Um, it's not happening. So the youth are abandoning the villages and moving to the cities. It's got a lot of economic and political instability. Uh, maybe you guys have heard of the Orange Revolution about five years ago. They revolted against the pro-Russian corrupt government. Well, the new pro-Western government was just as corrupt as the old government, so now the old government is back in power, and it's just a mess. The economy was hit really hard recently with the recession here. They call it the financial crisis there. The currency was devalued by half. Um, so credit dried up. People are, there were tons of, people who had bought stuff on credit and now, now they're losing um, homes and everything. So it's, um, it's a very interesting place. It's got a post-Soviet aspect to it where atheism was the rule and now you have a resurgence of the Orthodox Church, the Russian Orthodox Church, which was very powerful in the past, uh, very closely tied to the government and now it's uh, once again, becoming closely tied to the government. And then you have a younger generation that is highly influenced by Western culture, uh, MTV, the same clothing, the same music, the same websites. Um, so you have huge generation gaps. The churches, again, uh, the, the Orthodox church is there, but that's mainly just a cultural entity that people go to on holidays. Uh, you have the health, wealth, and prosperity doctrine that has come in since the fall of the Soviet Union that is spreading like wildfire. They use TV stations and multimedia and everybody really wants to be healthy and wealthy and prosperous. It's no wonder that people are coming into their churches. About three years later, after giving all their money, they're exiting the churches wounded. And then the other churches that were around during the Soviet Union are highly unfriendly towards unbelievers because they were skeptical of anybody who came in who wasn't a believer. Um, they've kind of shut their doors off and they're very ingrown and a perfect example is if you came to know the Lord but you didn't grow up in a Christian home you're called a new convert until the day you die because you weren't born in the church you're not a believer you're a new convert you'll never make it into leadership it's it's a really interesting um, very traditional uh, church that's not really communicating the gospel so the need is for new churches, for younger, first-generation church planters who um, have a heart for their country and who want to preach the gospel. Uh, the city that we live in is called Chernigov. I originally moved to a small town called Preluki, 70,000. I started learning the language there. And my wife, Anya, she, when I met her, she was, she was 14, I was 18. She was a translator, so we became friends. We didn't have anything going on as far as like a relationship. Um, she would come to this town, Preluki, from Kiev. So she was leaving the, leaving the big city on the weekends as a high schooler to help out with this new church plant. And then once she graduated high school, she started studying uh, correspondence, like distance learning, and then she moved out there. 
And we were in this city for a couple years. I started speaking Russian, was teaching Bible studies. The pastor, that I, my youth pastor, really took me under his wing and allowed me to, um, to learn. He took me with him everywhere we went, whether it was to speak with government officials, to rent a building, to purchase property, whatever it was. So I, I kind of was discipled by him. And two, two and a half years into it, felt like God was calling me to put a team together to start a church in the capital of the state we were in, 300,000 people. Trinigaf. That's where we're at today. Um, we moved there. There were five of us. We we're all under 25 years old, very inexperienced, and we just began to meet with people and build relationships and share the gospel. We had a Bible study in an apartment. Um, we started an English club, and what we noticed was the days when you could just show up in Russia or Ukraine with a bunch of bubble gum and a loudspeaker and have like 400 people surround you have long passed. That was uh, what was going on in 91, 92. Now we're considered a threat to the Slavic culture and the Slavic identity. We are a foreign people bringing a foreign faith that is not Ukrainian. So we're looked at just like David Koresh is looked at in America as a cult. Um, there's no distinction between us and Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons. So in our city, which is 1,300 years old, one of the oldest cities in all of Russia and Ukraine, highly orthodox, um, some churches that are 950 years old, uh, they're very, very resistant to the gospel. And we've seen that the, the one way for the gospel to move forward where people actually listen is if they get to know you and they see that you're not crazy and they see the gospel um, working itself out in your life. So if we can create environments where we build friendships such as English clubs, I taught English in a university, uh, sports, music, where, where people are exposed to us um, and the gospel for more than one time, like continually after a few months, they really begin to open up. I mean, we had people over at our apartment, we were teaching them how to make burritos, had no clue what a tortilla was. I mean, just, just uh, like young 20-year-olds building friendships, sharing the gospel. And a church was born. Um, we, we have a little tiny building that we bought. It has no running water no plumbing. It was in the center of town. It was abandoned, and we bought it for $4,000 and uh, remodeled it ourselves, and we had a meeting room where we'd have Bible studies, and a few years later, it, we outgrew that, and we have a, a museum that we rent now in the center of town, um, which is great because, again, people are highly skeptical, and if we invite them to a museum, they're much more likely to come. It's kind of a neutral ground. Our church is made up of primarily younger new believers. It's called Christian Bible Church. Um, Anya and I, who ourselves are young and we're young parents, we're, I mean, n none of the people in our church grew up in a Christian home. They've never seen a Christian family. They've never seen children raised in a Christian environment. They've never seen a husband treat his wife as a believer. Um, we're we're, we've gotten through a stage where everyone was in college, so we had no young people and no old people, and now most of them have graduated. Uh, people are getting married and starting to have kids, and we have adults now coming, relatives, parents, and we have a bunch of youth that are coming um, through these English lessons. So our church is um, highly involved in ministering in the city. We realize that uh, serving the needy and the vulnerable is obviously... Um, it's part of what it means to be a believer and love God. We, we serve Jesus by serving those he identifies with as the most vulnerable and needy in society. And at the same time, it really gives credibility to our existence in the city 
and uh, allows us, it opens doors for us. So we, we minister regularly in a mental hospital. Um, and I could, I could talk about this, all these things that we have going on. I won't, but uh, a mental hospital that we've been going to um, very early, which just think post-Soviet underfunded mental institution. Um, the Soviet Union was supposed to be utopia. So anybody who was mentally or physically ill was removed from society, often abandoned by their family. It was um, shameful to have a relative who, who had needs, um, special needs. So we go into a, we've been going into a mental hospital to, to work with the kids. We've purchased many things for them, kind of tried to change the environment because it was so um, depressing. We've been purchasing windows for them. And uh, we read to their playground. We've created a room. We took a children's Bible and projected pictures on the wall and painted the walls. Um, we have a team from our church that goes in there regularly. We have a social rehab center in town that is for people who are coming out of prison and uh, off the streets. And we've made meals for them and uh, given them clothes and furniture and spent time getting to know them. We continue to teach English in the summers. Uh, sometimes we'll have teams come from the states and we'll have about 300 people show up. We'll run a museum or a school, break up into classes of 15, uh, and really work with people for about three hours every evening for a week. And uh, the walls come down and we're able to share the gospel in a in a very natural environment through conversations with a theme like family or work or um, hope or whatever. We have uh, an orphanage in town that a team from our church goes to, and they just play games with the kids, read them the Bible, sing songs to them, do crafts with them. Um, there's another orphanage that's kind of the holding ground before they get put in the system after they get taken from their homes. Uh, again, these kids are highly traumatized, so we have just young adults who go to who'd go and spend time with them. Most recently, we found out about a tuberculosis hospital, um, which is probably the darkest place I've been to. And the, the children there, there's about 40 kids. They have an entire floor. Uh, a quarter of them have HIV. They're all from alcoholic families. Um, they are there for up to two years, and nobody visits them because everybody's afraid of tuberculosis, even though it's highly unlikely that you'll get it by visiting them a few times. Um, so we've recently begun to do a remodel project there, um, replacing windows, getting them coloring books. And when I asked them what their biggest needs were, they told me shampoo and soap. Um, the kids never see fruit or vegetables. It's just, it's really gray, very, very depressing place. And we're thankful for the open door in there. Um, and we just started going in there. As well, we have a prison. There was a guy in our church who got out of prison, found our church. He has no teeth. He's all tatted up. And in all the other churches, he would just have a hard time fitting in. Well, he feels welcomed in our church. So he told all the prisoners in the, in, in the church, in the prison, about our church. And they're all afraid to go back to their hometowns because they're afraid to fall into their old um, company and end up in prison again. They, they don't know where to go. They're afraid to go home. And they found out, well, there's a guy from prison who's there, and he's doing okay, and they have a church there, so we want to come to Chernigov. And it's something that's just kind of come at us, uh, not something we looked for, and we feel like, well, the Lord's obviously opening up a new door for us to help, help these guys get back on their feet. And as Chad said, we, about four years ago, started a publishing ministry. I, as a church planner, and having a ton of new believers and experiencing so much help and uh, fruit in my own personal life from reading books and learning, learning about God, learning about the Christian life, growing through the 
the help of authors that I believe the Lord wants to use in our lives. I saw that the only books that were available in Russia and Ukraine were pretty much self-help books, like how to find a wife. Everybody's really um, pragmatic, how to be a Christian businessman, how to, uh, how to do this, how to do that, how to fix myself. There are very few books that were centered on God, um, that were Godward or God-centered or Christ-centered or gospel-based. So out of frustration and a need for um, discipleship, we just, we just translated one book. We got the rights to it. We didn't know what we were doing. We totally broke the rules of the contract. In many places, we scanned the cover and like removed the English text and put the Russian text on. Didn't know you had to pay for cover rights and everything. Um, but we learned, and we, we translated The Passion of Jesus Christ by John Piper, and that book just, it, people wanted it. Um, so we're like, wow, we just kind of tried this. I saved up my personal support. I wasn't married at the time, um, so I had some extra money. It's just a young kid living with a roommate. Um, not that my wife requires a lot of money, but uh, <laughs> we have two kids, and things are changing in Ukraine. And um, Anyways, we started a publishing ministry, uh, which has kind of taken on a life of its own, and it's one way we're able to serve the greater Russian-speaking church all over Russia and Ukraine. Um, we've translated multiple books by John Piper. We developed a strong friendship with Desiring God Ministries, and we've, um, we've now printed some books by Wayne Grudem. Um, most recently, we republished Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. We have done, uh, or we're about to print Heaven by Randy Alcorn, some books by Mark Dever. We've translated four books by Mark Driscoll. And my favorite project to date is we're about to do the Jesus Storybook Bible in Russian, which is huge. We've had a huge... Uh, request for a good children's Bible. And there's one person in our church who works full-time distributing the books. We're about to take one other person on to do do the books, count the money, and um, bring a little more organization to the ministry. And we recently incorporated in California. We're waiting for a nonprofit status so that we can more effectively uh, spread resources. We feel like it's really important, and it will lay a foundation for hopefully a future church planning movement that's biblically rooted and gospel-centered. so that's, that's really exciting. I, I'm thankful for that opportunity. Um, but I feel like for the future, uh, the Lord is showing me, after, after being there for 10 years, I, I've realized the largest need is for um, leadership development that's church-based. Um, a lot of the seminaries there are highly influenced by the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. And um, they're producing people who don't know how to pick up chairs. They just want to preach. And... Um, there's, there's a massive need for, for entrepreneurial, uh, discipled, theologically um, interested, and faithful men. I mean, just like everywhere in the world, but especially in Ukraine. It's kind of a matriarchal society. Um, the tallest blade of grass was the first to get cut during the Soviet Union, so it really discouraged um, initiative and, and that, that drive that uh, is needed for church planters and pioneer church planters. Um, so my hope is that our publishing ministry will take on a life of its own, that I can entrust and empower other people to run with it because I just don't have the time, and I feel like God's showing me we need to raise leaders for the future to see new churches planted, and that's one reason why I'm extremely thankful for the relationship that we recently formed with Acts 29. I feel like their strengths are exactly what are Ukraine's weaknesses, and we need, um, we need leaders. We need men who preach the gospel, who teach the word of God, and who want to plant churches. Um, at the same time, we want to continue ministering to the most vulnerable and needy around us. There's just so much need, and we can't close our eyes to it as, as believers. And it's, it really is opening doors for the gospel. 
Um, so that's kind of what we're doing. Church planning and book publishing in a nutshell. I have some newsletters in the back if you guys want to learn more. But I, I, am, I am thankful for being here. And I want to close with just a couple last thoughts from Scripture. Um, how God wants to use all of us locally and globally for his purpose to redeem, to save. In Acts chapter 17, uh, Paul's on Mars Hill and he's talking to the Athenians. And he says in... Um, Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he has made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should see God and hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Is actually not far from each one of us. In him we live and move and have our being. Even as some of your own poets have said, for you are indeed his offspring. And the, the truth here is, namely in verse 26, that the Lord has determined our times and our boundaries. It's really huge. It means that where you guys were born and where I was born and where my wife was born in, in uh, Kiev and our children being born in Chernigov. Um, it's all been appointed by God. God is, he is concerned with the details of our life. Um, the fact that we were born in the 20th century or the 21st century, maybe some of you, and um, not the 15th century or the 16th century, it's because God wanted us to be born at this time. Um, who your neighbors are, I don't, I don't think he appointed our, our boundaries and said, okay, Bakersfield city, city limit, I don't really care where in Bakersfield, but just that you're, no, it's it speaks much more of God's um, sovereignty over, over where we're at in our life um, at every stage, I believe. And who your neighbors are, who your parents are, we didn't choose that. Um, who your coworkers are, who your children are, God has placed us exactly where he wants us. His, his reason for that type of um, providential um, determination over our lives, it, it's really simple. It's so that we would seek him and find him. In other words, God's purpose of redemption determines the details of your life. Um, if you've ever wondered, every so often I'm driving in Ukraine about once a year and I think, where on earth am I? I'm in like, I'm in Eastern Europe in some country that's really far away from where I grew up and how did I get here? What is going on? It's this really surreal feeling. I usually get it when I'm on a road driving through these little villages with these little houses with like smoke coming out the top and this Cyrillic language everywhere. And I'm like, what happened? Um, and I'm reminded, the Lord chose that I would be born in Napomo, California. And he chose that these people would be born here. And he, he was behind the fact that you guys are here today for his global purpose of redemption. And I, I would ask you guys, how many of you came to know Jesus because of somebody else in your life, whether it was a parent or a friend or a coworker or a roommate or a pastor? Um, I should ask, how many of you came to know Jesus by just reading a track and you had never heard anything from a human being? Very few. I mean, very, very few. Most likely no one. That means that God put you where he wanted you so that you would know Jesus and he used other people to reveal Jesus to you. 
And in the same way, he wants to use you in Bakersfield and maybe elsewhere, should he lead you, to point to Jesus because the people around you, he has placed them there so that they would know him, find him. He's gathering a people for himself. And his, his means of gathering them is the church. It's you guys. It's your love and it's your lives and it's the gospel being communicated primarily by you. Um, he wants to use us for his purposes of redemption. And um, I'm also reminded of how easy it is to get distracted and how easy it is to live for other things. And the Apostle Paul, he, he's, he's just a perfect, perfect example for us. You guys remember when he was in Philippi? And he goes to Philippi because he's given a, a vision by God that he needs to go to Europe. And he gets into Philippi and he preaches the gospel and a woman repents and then he's walking in the town and then there's a girl behind him screaming. He's really frustrated with her. He casts a demon out of her. Her boss is upset. He's not making money. And they throw Paul in prison, but they beat him before they threw him in prison. Remember, he's like, How? I'm a Roman citizen. I want a public apology when they told him to leave. So, th- so they beat him. They threw him in prison. He was robbed of his health. He was robbed of his freedom unjustly. Why? So that he would be in a place because God wanted to save the Philippian jailer. Um, Paul suffered and was stripped of everything that we in America hold more dear than anything, our health, our freedom, our financial stability and security. Um, It was gone because God wanted to redeem a man and his entire family. And then even in Acts chapter 20, Paul says that he doesn't know what awaits him. Um, I'll, I'll read the verse. And 20 verses 22 through 24, and I'll close with these verses. And, and now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life as of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish the course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul he knew he was supposed to go to Jerusalem and all he knew, he, he didn't know what was going to await him other than um, imprisonment and afflictions. So he, he lost his, his freedom and he lost his health and his comfort. Um, and he was gladly willing to give those up. And he says he's gladly willing to give up his life for the gospel and to testify of the grace of God. So Paul wanted other people to enjoy the goodness of God through the, placing their faith in Jesus, through him communicating the gospel. And he knew that that's what God wanted to use him for. And that was more important than his, his freedom, his health, his comfort, and his life. And I know the air we breathe is the air of freedom in America. It's a good thing. I don't think it's a bad thing. And it's a good thing to, to strive to be healthy. I, I was diagnosed with chronic kidney disease three years ago, and it was just completely unexpected. And now I'm having to, to deal with um, seeking to, to maintain my health as, as much as possible so that I can be useful to the Lord and, and um, like honor my, his temple, which is my body. I mean, it's, it's really kind of, it's a curveball that was thrown at us, and I know that that's important. And I know that 
um, providing for your family is really important. The Bible says if you don't provide for your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. But at the same time, there's uh, the gospel which drove Paul to, to risk all of that um, for this purpose of redemption. He was gripped by it. He was gripped by God wanting to redeem people. He, he was willing to, to, to sacrifice everything that most people hold dear so that people will know Jesus, so that Jesus will be glorified through the endless generosity of his goodness for all of eternity. And the suffering that he was willing to endure was very temporary, very minor, compared to the glory of God through mercy being given to others. So I... Um, I would want to encourage you guys this morning. God is, he's full of goodness. He's full of overflowing grace that he, he created us so that we can enjoy it. Not because he needed us, but because he is so full of love and goodness within the Trinity and he created us to enter in and partake of that overflowing grace for all of eternity, for the ages to come. Um, and he was willing to send his son and pay the ultimate price so that we could be forgiven to, to be br- brought to a place where we could be considered righteous and, and enter into his presence to receive this goodness for all of eternity. That's why Jesus came. That's why we celebrate Christmas. It's the beginning that led to the cross, that led to the resurrection that leads to eternal life for all of us and the eternal enjoyment of the Father for free, all as a gift. I I hope that you guys would trust Jesus. If you don't know him, he's calling you to himself. He's saying you can't deserve it. You can't earn it. All you have to do is place your faith in me and what I've done for you. At the same time, I hope you guys would see that God wants to use you in Bakersfield Maybe some of you are feeling called to go somewhere else. Um, maybe some of you are being called to the mission field. There is a, a great need overseas, but I'm convinced more and more it, um, wherever we're at, it doesn't matter because God's purpose is the same, to glorify himself through rescuing sinners and using the church to point to Jesus so that they would be rescued. Um, structure your lives around it. Uh, it gives meaning to your work, to raising children. It gives meaning to your recreation. It gives meaning to how you spend your money. It gives meaning to where you live and who your neighbors are. It gives meaning to everything, where you're studying. Um, it just it just brings, it just narrows and focuses our lives because they exist for God's glory and furthering the gospel so that people will know Jesus. Um, I pray that I myself and all of you would be freed from our cultural idols that keep us from understanding and living for this this glorious purpose of redemption, global mission that is more important than anything. And may you guys experience the goodness and grace that God has for you this Advent season, this Christmas. May you just uh, rest, find rest in God's commitment to show you his goodness for all of eternity through Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you that you are a good God who has 
shown us your love through your son. Now we love you because you first loved us. We thank you, Lord, that you have many people in Bakersfield that you want to bring to yourself. We thank you, Lord, that you have many people scattered throughout the world that you want to redeem and bring into fellowship with you and the Son. I pray for this church. I pray for everyone here, Lord. I pray that you would lead them. I pray that you would um, clarify how you want to use them. I pray that you would empower them by your spirit to advance the gospel in every surrounding environment they find themselves in. I pray that it would not be a burden, that it would not be um, a weight, but that it would be a joy. Father, I pray that this Advent season you would draw people to yourself. And Lord, I just want to pray for Ukraine. I pray for the entire nation. That, I pray for our city that is 0.3% Christian and all the 300,000 people who don't know you. I pray that you would bring them to yourself and that you would use your church to proclaim the gospel and that Jesus would be known. It's in his name we pray. Amen.